Happy New Year. Welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. You are listening to this on January the 7th, 2024 for the first time, and it will be rebroadcast on Monday, January the 8th, 2024. We are recording this on Saturday, January 6th, the first Saturday of the new year. My name is Jasmine, and once again, I'm here with my co-hostess with the mostest. It's Reese. How you doing, Reese? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. I like to sound of that. Co-hostess with the mostest. Yeah, Let's you know, trying to, you know, get off of my Eeyore sound and self and be a little more ooh, ooh, in 2024, so. All right, I'm here for it. Sounds like fun. How was your New Year's? I had a good New Year's. I had a good New Year's Eve. It's like, that's always a, <laughs> that's always a holiday that no matter how few plans I might have in the beginning, it always comes together at the end and I end up having a good day and a good night. So, um, you all have, oh, actually all the people that I saw on New Year's Eve were people that have been on the show. So I saw my friend Matthew, who's been on the show. Uh, we hung out in the park for a while, uh, had some drinks outside, uh, I saw my friend uh, Salmon, who's recorded with us before, Anika. We went and saw some fireworks at uh, Grand Army Plaza, which I would I would recommend that as a, a nice New Year's Eve activity because it, it's not really crowded in the same way like some other things are. Like, And you can be pretty far away but get a really good view of the show. Um, and then I also did, like with an online uh, COVID-cautious community, there was like a 36 hour new year's eve new year's day like party that was on west coast time so i got to do my happy new year and then when i came home i got on the online and joined that thing and we counted down again (laughs) so i had a good i had a run on the new year it was fun i'll say so and happy it's snowing now finally yes it's really winter out there yeah (laughs) How was your New Year? Oh, my New Year's was great. Um, I actually celebrated down in Mexico. I normally don't go out on New Year's. For many years, I've gone to church, and then we do like a house party thing afterwards. So this was a first in a long time that I actually went to a party. Uh, we went to a rooftop masquerade party. So that was oh. kind of fun. Yeah, it was very nice. And, you know, the fireworks were there, and... Everybody was in a good mood. So, yeah, it was great. It was All great. right. Did you have, like, a one of those eyes wide shut masks on? Or? No, I had a really cute masquerade mask. Uh, it matched uh, my date's mask. So Okay. We was, was cute or whatever. Okay. <laughs> so, Reese, you really been soft launching, you know, writing a book. <laughs> you, you had a nice, fun date in Mexico for the New Year. So, yeah, it sounds like. We're leveling up. You know, we got to do something in this life. We got we got to make some shifts, you know? So I really feel like this year is going to be some shifts. As you know, the last two years I've been transitioning. Um, so it was nice to kind of do something outside of all of that and kind of just be able to pull it in, um, you know, mentally and be like, okay, let me take take some inventory and let's, let's make this year rock. So. Right. Okay. Well, on this week's show, for the local news, I'll be discussing a train derailment that happened on the Upper West Side this week in New York City. 
for national news. I'll also be covering that. Uh, I'll be talking about uh, over 200 uh, bodies of people who were buried in a pauper's field in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, without their family's permission. For world news, we'll be discussing uh, Israeli officials pushing the quote-unquote voluntary migration of Palestinians to um, various African nations. And for good news, we'll talk about a Finnish baby that was discovered in the snow, safe and sound. Uh, so I'll get started with the local news story. This is from Pix11. A train derailment on Upper West Side causes major disruption to subway service. Officials, according to officials, by Finn Huginson and Anthony DiLorenzo. Two northbound number one trains collided and derailed in the subway on the Upper West Side in Manhattan, injuring at least 24 people and causing a major disruption to service on Thursday, January the 4th, authorities said. The collision happened in a tunnel near West 96th Street and Broadway around 3 p.m., according to New York City Transit President Richard Davey. One of the number one trains had around 300 people on it, while the other train only contained four MTA workers and was out of service after it had been vandalized, according to Davey. None of the 24 people hurt were seriously injured, according to the FDNY. Passengers on the train told PIX11 News they felt a violent jolt and heard a loud crash when the collision happened. Some passengers flew out of their seats and others fell to the ground, according to witnesses. Another passenger said she heard people screaming. It was a very fast, hard impact. Everyone was, unex was unexpected for it. It was really scary. People were just in shock, scared. Others were trying to calm people down. There were some people who were asking if someone needed help, said Evelyn Aguilar, a passenger. The cause of the train collision is under investigation. Obviously, two trains should not be bumping into one another. We're going to get to the bottom of that, Davy said. There's nothing to suggest it was equipment related. We will obviously look at human factors as well. I think it's a little too early to tell. But at this point, from what we can tell, the equipment was working as intended. The derailment has caused a major disruption to subway service on the numbers 1, 2, and 3 lines, according to the MTA. Davy said it will take a while to fully restore service to the impacted subway lines. My hope is we will have service restored for morning rush hour, but I cannot guarantee that. I'm going to ask our customers who use the 1, 2, 3 lines to continue to watch our website, our apps, and see how we're proceeding, Davy said at a news conference Thursday evening. All of the passengers on the occupied train that derailed have been evacuated, officials said. Daniel Torres, one of the passengers, described part of the evacuation process. We stepped down into the other train, Torres said. We stepped down into it and then it was like tilt-a-whirl, like the trains were actually going in different directions as you exited. We exited the train that, that we hit walked all the way down to the 96th stop, never exiting the train until we were actually on the subway platform. 
Another nearby train containing hundreds of passengers that wasn't involved in the collision also needed to be evacuated after power was shut off on the tracks, authorities said. So yeah, that that was a day, like I was happy I did not, I wasn't physically going into work that day, but what a mess. Like it's it still seems confusing like what exactly caused for there to be a crash. I did see some other headlines saying that it, it looks like it's, you know, human error. Like someone made some type of a mistake for that to happen, but oh yeah, not not something you ever want to experience. No, that sounds so scary. And you know, oddly enough, when I used to ride the train often I felt I would always kind of have a fear of something happening. I don't know, I just, I guess I never really felt fully safe on the train, um, even though I have fallen asleep like any other person. But I did often think about things like that, like, you know, um, train conductors and drivers, they're, they're regular people just like us. They'd be tired, they, you know, have situations, they could be on their phone. I don't know, I always thought about things like that and was just trying to be conscientious, you know, yeah, I mean, I still, I've, I've always felt very safe on the train, and I still do, you know, like, I do feel like, even when you look at the fact that there's, like, 300 people on one single train, I feel like if all those 300 people were out on the road, that that's 300 separate people having to use their judgment and all, you know, in their own individual things, so... I feel like this is an outlier. It's not something that happens often, but still it's like when you're the one that it happens to, it's still scary, you know, and I'm glad they described like how they got evacuated. Like they didn't have to, I was imagining they had to get off like onto the, like onto the track area or something. Like they had to be removed from the train that way. But it, it, I see what they're saying now that they just had to walk through like from one door to the next inside of the train itself, which is a lot better. Yeah, I could not imagine having to like walk on those corridors in between the stops. Oh my God. That could just, first of all, it'd be probably disgusting. And then secondly, um, it's probably just dark and, you know, really get closed. Uh, I'm kind of um, claustrophobic to a point like, uh -huh. I'm ever in situations like that. So I think I would probably have freaked out a little bit. Oh, and you know, the rats are down there. They'd be That's looking. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It would have been disgusting, you know, like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be looking the at you like. Like, why are you in my house? Yeah. <laughs> the rats would be looking at you like rush hour am i right <laughs> like yeah we're gonna yeah. be late again signal problems well, again i hope that never happens again or happens to anyone else because that's really scary yeah and like the the way that the vandalism thing didn't sound like i wasn't really clear on why they were saying that because like the they had taken the one one of the trains out of service and i think they were saying that someone had pulled the emergency brake or had pulled several of them and i'm like is that what they're considering a type of vandalism or what else happened to the train that it was taken out of service so i'll keep following it because i do kind of want to you, you want to get to the bottom of something like this because, you know, 20-something people being injured, even if it's not major injuries, that's still two dozen people that were hurt. 
that could have not made it. You know, people get freaked out, could have a heart attack or something, or minor injury for one person could be major for somebody else. So I hope they figure it out ASAP and can, you know, reconfigure things. Yeah, absolutely. And did you say nobody was seriously injured, right? No one was seriously injured. I think some people were taken to the hospital. Like, there's images of people being on stretchers, but none of the injuries were, you know, according to the news articles, none of them were, like, serious injuries. Okay. Well, that's good. That's mm, good. Yeah. Yeah, be mindful of your surroundings. And, you know, if you can, make sure you, like, use the bathroom before you get on the train because that's, like, my big fear is, like, you get trapped down there and you're like, oh, I got to go. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll we'll see how this story develops. Uh, you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical break, this is A Cause des Garçons by Yell. We'll be right back. to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android. 
available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, this is Reese with our world news story. So this comes from an article on HuffingtonPost.com. Um, the title of the article is Israeli officials call for voluntary migration of Palestinians alarms human rights experts. As a reported death toll of the Israeli invasion in Gaza tops 22,000, senior Israeli politicians have grown more explicit in their goal for the Palestinian enclave, the movement of a large number of Gazans out of Gaza entirely. The rhetoric has garnered charges of ethnic cleansing and forced displacement and a rare rebuke from the U.S. officials. But there are no signs of the calls losing steam within Israel. What needs to be done in the Gaza Strip is to encourage immigration, Israeli Finance Minister Zal Smotrich said Sunday. Referring to Gaza as a quote-unquote ghetto, he added, if in Gaza there was a there will be a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand Arabs and not two million, the entire conversation on the day after will look different. The following day, Smotrich referred to the Jewish settlement of the territory as important and said Palestinians should be encouraged to leave the Gaza Strip. The idea of expelling or encouraging the voluntary migration of Palestinians from Gaza, once a fringe view held by extremists like Mir Kahan has become normalized in the Israeli society since the October 7th Hamas attack that resulted in the deaths of some 1,200 Israelis and the abduction of 240 more, according to Israeli officials. National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Vir said Monday that the current war presented an opportunity to concentrate on encouraging the migration of the residents of Gaza. Such a policy, he added, was a correct just, moral, and humane solution. And last week, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu told one lawmaker who'd called for voluntary immigration from Gaza that he was working to facilitate that movement. Our problem is finding countries that are willing to absorb Gazans, and we are working on it, Netanyahu said. One unnamed senior source in Israel's security cabinet, Smotrich and Ben Beer, are both members, told Zaman Israel, the Times of Israel's Hebrew sister site, Congo will be willing to take in migrants and we're in talks with others. Israeli military action has already forcibly displaced the vast majority of the population within Gaza, which itself consists mostly of Palestinian refugees from the 1948 Arab-Israeli war and their descendants. Throughout the recent bombardment and invasion of Gaza, Israel has repeatedly urged civilians to move further south within the territory, only to strike those areas as well. Infrastructure in Gaza from homes to bakeries to hospitals has been devastated, and the territory faces widespread medical need and looming famine. The bottom line is that in Gaza, pretty much everybody is hungry at the moment. Arif Hussein, the chief economist at the United Nations World Food Program, told The New Yorker recently. Some in Israel, including parliamentarian, parliamentarian Ram bin Barak, co-author of the Wall Street Journal opinion article calling for international relocation programs for tens of thousands of Gazans, 
has stressed that their proposals would be voluntary. But Israel's military campaign in Gaza, featuring what President Joe Biden last month called indiscriminate bombing, has left few safe options left for Gazans wishing to remain in the territory, which is about the size of Philadelphia. In that context, critics say voluntary migration amounts to illegal forced displacement. It's so cynical to call it voluntary migration. Francesca Albanese, the United Nations special reporter to the occupied Palestinian territories, told Democracy Now! on Friday. She added, it's forced displacement. It's a crime against humanity. It should be stopped. It's shocking to see the silence of the international community in the face of these unfathomable ideas. Also, last week, Jordan's King Abdullah II and Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi met and reiterated their complete rejection of all attempts to liquidate the Palestinian issue and to forcibly displace Palestinians in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, according to the Jordan News Agency. And on Wednesday, Joseph Borrell Fatelis, the European Union's High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, condemned Ben Veer and Smotrich's comments, writing, forced displacements are strictly prohibited as a grave violation of international humanitarian law and words matter. The Biden administration, Israeli's chief ally and weapons supplier, showed no signs of cutting off arms sales to Israel due to the migration rhetoric, even though the calls were at odds with U.S. priorities for the region. On Friday, the State Department announced that it had yet again circumvented Congress to sell Israeli roughly 147.5 million worth of 155 million millimeter artillery shells and related components. Still, U.S. officials did condemn the language. Matthew Miller, a State Department spokesperson, said Tuesday that the U.S. rejects the statement from Ben Gavir and Smotrich, calling the rhetoric inflammatory and irresponsible. Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., amplified the sentiment that the state and with a statement of her own. But the statements appeared weak to some observers. I wonder which speaks louder, former State Department lawyer Brian Finucane observed. The State Department continued to authorize U.S. arms transfer to Israel, including the 155mm artillery shells approved by via emergency procedures on Friday or issuing sternly worded statements. Israeli politicians quickly answered the question, I really admire the United States of America, but with all due respect, we are not another star in the American flag. Ben Veer said, adding, the immigration of hundreds of thousands from Gaza will allow residents of the border area to return home and live in security and protect Israeli's defense forces, defense force soldiers. I'll stop right there. I think we have enough to discuss this. Um, just some bullshit. Let me just say that from the jump. Uh, just watching some of the interviews where people are the people in the Israeli government are talking about this voluntary. First of all, voluntary migration is just like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. After you've already completed com genocide, there is literally no place for them to go, and you want to ship them to the Congo as if that's a better place for anyone to be. No offense to, Cong to the Congo or anything like that, but that country has its own set of extreme issues of poverty, war, uh, rape, disease, disgust. Like it's not a better situation for anyone. And with all due respect to the Palestinians, 22,000 people are dead. So who is they shipping? 
Where where are they shipping them to? And what's going to be better for them on the other side? This is absurd. Yeah, it's really, you know, and the article mentions how, you know, this is was once considered a fringe idea is now moving into the mainstream. And I think that, you know, we see the same trend in many countries around the world where like ideas that seem like they were far out on the right are now moving closer and closer to the center of being normalized. And yeah, like there's no such thing. Like you you cannot be constantly like bombarding people with weapons, shooting them. Like people are being murdered like by settlers and things with guns. Palestinians are being murdered by Israeli settlers and so on. You know, they're dealing with living in what is recognized internationally as like a system of apartheid where they do not have equal rights and status. Um, as Palestinian Arabs, like within Israel and Palestine, like you cannot be in that situation and people in Gaza in particular who are being killed every day, whether it's by weapons, starvation, um, the risk of things like cholera from like sewer water being allowed to proliferate everywhere. You know, it's just atrocity after atrocity being pushed out in that way there's nothing voluntary about that and i think you know even proposing that like it's really it's a sick joke and you know this this country that we're in quote unquote a democracy but you know to keep giving money and weapons and weapons and weapons to the israeli government to continue this behavior but then you have a strongly worded statement about you don't like the language it's absolutely ridiculous and it's a slap in the face to, you know, people who really do believe that like, oh, yeah, you vote for your representatives and they represent your interests. Like, yeah, see how that's going, because he doing everything but going through Congress and following the rules. He's doing what this Biden is doing, whatever the hell he wants to do. It's just so sad. Um, the the more we, we watch this unfold, you know. Um, they don't even care about the language anymore. It's to a point where they're just like very direct um, about what they're trying to do, obliterate this people, obliterate this country, um, and saying that they want to displace them to places they've never been. They don't speak the language. Like I said, the, the issues within the Congo specifically, and I'm sure there'll be some other countries that they'll try to find to try to ship people off to. Um, it's just it's just a direct genocide like in our face they don't give a fuck and at this point you know the idea that they want to demolish this country because they feel that underneath every house underneath every mosque there's some connection to some underground tunnel where terrorists are hiding i mean it's the rhetoric is just ridiculous at this point like it's been, it's been ridiculous for years on years on years but the idea that this is being justified because of that um when very clearly there hasn't been any uh, real threats to the level that this war has escalated to from the other side. How could there be it's complete atrocity? And I just, I just find it just so difficult that our government, which fucking always has sucked, but it's just something different happening right now. Something different with this Biden administration that is just 
like disgusting the the blind eye the we we don't agree we don't condemn but we'll give you this so you could do that like i don't i don't understand what what they really expect us as americans to be thinking about it it feels to me very disrespectful quite honestly that that this is the way it's being handled and i don't know if any other administration would have done it differently i mean specifically the previous one obviously would not have but anyone other than that you know i mean i just feel like at times historically you know this country there has been people who have spoken out about things like this there this is not what it's just not what i expect it's not what anybody expects but it's just it's just very disheartening and disturbing to me um you know i had kind of tapped out while i was away for the holiday and just to tune back in today to look for something to talk about and this shit is still it you know and this is it just breaks my heart um the thought that they will even infiltrate another country with this bullshit you know, um, I, I don't know. I'm just overwhelmed with the way that this world is going. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm constantly praying for our leaders. But at this point, it's, this is not leadership. This is, I don't even know what this shit is anymore. But um, as it unfolds, you know, I, I really just, I just really hope that some some way, somehow the ceasefire happens. We ain't talking about this shit six months from now. You know, because that's how it feels. It feels like it's never going to end. Um, and that's just overwhelming for me. Yeah, I mean, it's really like the lack of regard for, I think, like the will of like people in this country have been protesting nonstop uh, for months at this point saying that they do not want this escalate, like this military escalation, um, uh, against from Israel against Palestinians. People have been protesting, uh, what seems to be like the intentional targeting of places like hospitals, journalists, scholars being killed. Like these things are not, people are not going quietly and just saying, oh, well, we don't care. It's like there's been such an overwhelming expression of not agreeing with this. And yet, you know, these heads of state and these politicians that are in these allegedly democratic places are just completely running roughshod over that. And I think it's really like a I don't know if canary in the coal mine is the right term because, you know, there's the Palestinian struggle, and then there's also, you know, we talk about things happening like in on the continent of Africa all the time, where it's like you see just this complete lack of regard for human life and the way that it's crushed because of like political interests. And to see that happening, and it's like no matter what people protest or whatever, it's gonna continue to happen. Like, I do think people should wonder, especially if you're, like, in a minority group, like, in an oppressed group somewhere else, like, the fate that you see, like, happening to Palestinians right now, like, why couldn't that be you, like, as a black person or as, you know, a queer person or whatever? It's, you know, like, once it's been been decided that because of your identity, you don't belong and you should be removed and anyone who, you know, shows compassion or empathy for you is like the enemy that puts a target on your back. Like, if we allow this to continue in this situation, it's just going to keep spreading. 
So yeah, I, I also am hoping that there is a ceasefire soon because just every day, like just the death toll is just going up and up and up. And, you know, it's mostly people that are being killed like immediately in like a bomb or something like that. But then you also have the people who are getting COVID and dying, getting other infections and dying, who are starving to death. You know, it's it has to end. It's really, you know, we'll see what happens with um, South Africa bringing up uh, charges of genocide against Israel. But who knows, like, if they're even successful with that, like, what would then the result be? What would be the follow up? Exactly. You know, it's going to lead to more. It's going to lead to more issues. It's going to lead to you know, regional wars. It's just, you know, at this point, for the, we for us to be dealing with this shit for a quarter, we, we literally been dealing with this whole thing for like a quarter of the year, you know. I'm just thinking about time because while, while we were, you know, Christmas in and New Year's in it, motherfuckers was still dying. Like this shit is still going on like to this day. And we can't forget about this struggle. Um, but it's just, just the, the turn of events. It's just overwhelming. And I just... You know, as much as I want to have so much just anger in my heart for, for these so-called leaders, I literally, all I could do is humble myself to pray for them. Because what kind of person, like, where are you as a human being to be able to think on this level? Like, what what is what what has happened to you? Um, it's scary. It's scary to think that, that we could get that evil that we could get to that point where we just have no regard for human life. Yeah, I just, um, it's, it's, it's inhumane, but it's also very human because we can okay. see, you know, regardless of your own identity or past struggles that you may have had, or, you know, this is within the realm of what humans do. Like it's a part of humanity as well to, you know, be capable of these like acts of cruelty and like really being committed to like ideology, ideologies that erase the humanity of someone else because of their religion or their ethnicity. And, you yeah. know, we see it playing out in this case, but we see it happening globally. We see it happening within the U.S., uh, so yeah. we have to be vigilant against adopting that attitude ourselves. And, you know, you're not completely powerless. Like we, we as the American people are paying for this with our tax dollars. If you don't approve of it, you can let your politicians know, you know, whether that's by calling, whether that's protesting, like do what you have to do. But, you know, whether you agree with it or not, it's happening on your dime. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah that's it <laughs> yeah um, so you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn and for our next musical break this is Everybody Dance by Chic we'll be right back
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, I'm going to discuss our national news story. Uh, so this information comes from the Jackson Advocate. Um, so the Jackson Advocate, just as an aside, shout out to them. They're among one of the oldest continuously published Black-owned and operated newspapers in the United States. Um, They've been operating since 1938, and they serve as the voice of Black Mississippians. So, you know, it's important, I think, to support local journalism. Like, we see so much, you know, junk news out there, but it's really important that you have these papers and Um, journalists that are following up on things that are right there in their community like they're physically there they know the people they know the issues intimately Uh, so if you have a chance I would go to the jacksonadvocateonline.com and you can subscribe show some support Uh, it's like 30 some dollars for a year subscription so just shout out to the Jackson Advocate Um, and this article is titled Crump wants inquiry of 215 people buried in County Paupersfield, and it was written by Ernest McBride on New Year's Day, 2024. Uh, So it's quite lengthy. I'm not going to read the whole thing, uh, but I will read a good portion of it. Civil rights attorney Ben Crump issued a clarion call for justice on behalf of the relatives, friends, and close associates of 215 people buried in the Pauper Cemetery behind the Hines County Jail in Raymond, Mississippi, without notification of their relatives and close associates. On Wednesday, December 28, 2023, the Hines County Coroner released the full list of 672 bodies buried in the Pauper's Field covering the years 2008 to 2023. Documents obtained by NBC News presented a list of 215 burials between the years 2016 and 2023 where no notification was given to the decedent's families. The name, age, race, birth, and death dates were included for all 672 listed in the coroner's records. In many cases, burials were consigned to Pauper's Field because the families could not pay the cost of burial services. Attorneys Crump and Dennis Sweet of Jackson called for a full review of all 672 cases on Wednesday. Crump and co-counsel Sweet brought together family members and friends of three of the men whose identities were easily established for a press briefing at Stronger Hope Church in North Jackson on December 20th. Some family members said they were surprised when they learned that they have to buy back the remains of their loved ones in order to give them a proper burial in a better graveyard. An investigative report by NBC News on December 18th listed a roster of 215 such burials in the pauper's field since 2016 that was provided by the coroner's office 
under a public records request. It was necessary to use 2016 as the cutoff year due to there being no records of the burials before then. Lending their voices to the call for justice were the relatives and close associates of three of the deceased who could have been easily identified but were buried in the crude, unkempt graveyard behind Hines County Jail without the notification of their families or associates by Jackson Police Department or the Hines County Coroner. Although the three families had filed missing person reports and sought their assistance, the authorities failed to contact them. One mother said she was in weekly contact with police authorities for over a year and a half before learning of her son's death from the NBC report on a national database of such deaths. Mary Moore Glenn is the mother of Mario Moore, age 40, whose battered body was left on a Jackson street on February 2nd, wrapped in a gray and blue tarp. Mario's death was clearly a homicide, and though he had identity papers, his family was never given notice prior to his burial in the pauper's field in Raymond. Surprisingly, after learning of Mario's burial in the shabby graveyard, Glenn and her family were compelled to pay $250 to get a death certificate to reclaim the body. Mario's interred cadaver was classified as state property and his mother had to pay the required $250. She is still waiting for the coroner's report. Gretchen Hawk Hankins of Florence reported that her son, Jonathan, age 39, left her house on May 20th, 2022 after one of his routine visits there. He was found dead on May 23rd, 2022 in a Jackson hotel room. I didn't know it for a year and seven months, she said, having learned of his death from a chance sighting of the death roster featured on NBC News. It's like they threw him out like trash, just like they did the others. Jonathan Hankins was identified through a fingerprint file. Due to his involvement with drugs, he had had some run-ins with the law, the reason for his prints being in the police files. They found out who he was and they still did not contact me, the mother said. Betterson Wade was the catalyst behind the persistent probing of the pauper's burial issue. Her son, Dexter, run over by an off-duty Jackson Police Department officer in a traffic accident on I-55 in March 2023, was overlooked in the missing persons report she filed with the Jackson Police Department. He had, however, a state identification card that included both his and his mother's address. It was only after a pathologist found a wallet in Wade's pants pocket with his name, address, state ID, and phone number that the connection between the buried body and the missing person report was established. Betterson was familiar with and known to the police department because of the death of her brother, George Robinson, at the hands of the police in 2019. Um, so I'm going to... Um, stop there just because it's it's so lengthy and you know for the sake of time I can't read the whole thing but I'm going to actually end on this part the Jackson City Council issued an official apology to the Wade family on November 21st 
the day after Dexter Wade's funeral. Mayor Lumumba offered regrets over the burial mishap in his State of the City address on October 29th, and he absolved Jackson Police Department of any culpability in the man's death, although, although it was an off-duty JPD officer who had fatally hit Wade with his vehicle on I-55. It was officially declared an accident. Um, so yes, like I remember reading about the Wade case, um, and just being so heartbroken and disgusted for his family, for him that, you know, this officer hit someone, killed him and he was just buried like he was nobody. And the mother looking around wondering what happened to my son and you find out that this is what happened. They just chucked him in a graveyard, like no identity, you know, even though they knew and had the ability to contact you, you're searching, you have a report and still nothing, you know, and to see that it's now how, who knows how many people out of these hundreds that that was the case for, it's just so, just so disgusting and low down. Yeah, I swear, they really do give the cops way too much fucking authority um, to think that they can just do that to so many people. Um, I would be irate as she is. I would be overwhelmed with the level of disregard for my family and the many people who have been through this. Like, I can't, I can't even fathom having to go through what they're going through to figure this out. You know, I was just sitting here thinking like, you know, not to even think about that, but maybe they had life insurance. They had all these reasons that they would need and want, you know, their, their loved ones remains, uh, their children, anything like that. And you actually want to charge people and challenge them over after you clearly disregarded their lives. You practically did whatever you wanted to do. And how did we get here? You know, it's just my prayers go up for everyone who's been affected by this this just disgust and disregard for human life because it's really just what what is the reason i can't imagine the pain of you know like in our last segment we were talking about uh, what's happening to what israel is doing to palestinians right now and you know there's so many people that are just underneath rubble and people don't know where their loved one is um, there's also people now, you know, like there's still Israeli people who have been kidnapped or it's, it's unclear where they are or when they'll come back and just not knowing where your loved one is, even if you know that they're dead, but at least you can bury them, you know, or like you have your own rites and rituals for what you do when you lose someone and to not even have that it's just it's like the last it's like the last slap in the face that's possible it's like even in your death like you don't have respect and you're being treated like the one mother in the article said it's like they threw her son away like he was a piece of garbage you know and it's just it, it makes you want to cry and scream like just how how low down can you be to do that and it's not like you, you can't say, oh, we tried, we were looking. There was no try. If you got ID on you on your wallet when you passed, you didn't try shit. 
you know, they looking at these people and because of their race or because of their race and maybe they weren't, you know, someone who had been on the wrong side of the law or whatever, making a judgment that they're like less than human and that they don't deserve, you know, just the bare dignity of notifying their family of their passing. Like it's, I don't know how you can sleep at night and be doing that. I hate that we have to rely on karma, you know, like that, that what, what do you even say to somebody in this situation? I probably would lose my fucking mind. Um, and they wonder why there's so much mental health in our community. They wonder why people get to a point of no return. Um, you know, why this didn't happen to us directly. It's just sitting here reporting it for us to try to embody the voice of the voiceless people that we're speaking on behalf of. Um, it's something we'll never forget. You know, this is the type of trauma that it runs rampant, obviously. The last couple of stories we just talked about obviously it's something that we'll never forget. And so whomever has the capacity to do that to someone, you know, it's so easy to be like, oh yeah, they the real killers, they the real gang. We knew that the whole time. But I, the sad part is this: they are not the only people this has happened to. Because this police department, these people would not have even attempted to do this if they didn't think they could get away with it. You and know, had been, that's, that's, had been that's getting the, away with it. Exactly. Exactly. So if they know that, who's to say that they're, they're not the, this is not the only place where this has happened. And that is the scariest thing to think about that this can, you know, I didn't even know about this story. So to, for us to bring it up is to share this information with other people, but I guarantee this has happened somewhere else. It's happening right now, somewhere else. Um, you know, them boys in blue really feel like they are invincible. Like they dead ass feel like they run this work earth because they do. <sighs> yeah, but hopefully, you know, nothing lasts forever. Trouble don't last always. So, you know, we can work towards ending this and hope that at some point in our lifetime, this isn't still going on. But shame, like absolute shame on Jackson County, like Jackson PD for doing this to these families, man. Like, it's just so sad. I hope they get some resolution and justice at the end of the day. Um, but on that note, we have one final pick-me-up type story. And it's also Ooh. seasonal. Yeah, I'm so glad we added this segment because... <laughs> Life be dismal, yo. Yeah, I'm glad too, Reese, that we added this section. This story comes from uh, sunnyskies.com. It's really hard to find good news stories sometimes, y'all. So when I tell you these sites, please just take note of that because sometimes you need that. Um, the title of the article is Missing Child Found Alive Inside of a Pile of Snow by a Police Dog in Finland. In a heartwarming turn of events on Christmas Eve, the inner Finland police department successfully located a missing elementary school aged child with the help of their dedicated police dog, Kuha. I don't know if it's Kuha or Kua. I'm going to call him Kua. According to Finland's police dog association, the child had gone missing on December 23rd around 7 p.m. in Korpil Korpilati, 
Corpulati. I think that's right. Um, the steadily falling snow had covered the tracks, leading the family to seek assistance from the authorities. A situation organization was quickly established, including a dog patrol from Vizcaila, which played a crucial role in the miraculous rescue. The search initially focused on the city center, but the breakthrough came near the child's home. A dog patrol led by Kua carefully inspected a snow pile where children had built snow caves. Despite the challenging conditions, Kua's keen sense of smell and the persistence of the patrol paid off. Around 12.30 a.m. on Christmas Eve, Kua discovered the shoes, the shoe, a shoe sole buried under three feet of snow. The child, who had been trapped in a collapsed snow cave, was unresponsive initially, but gradually recovered after receiving medical attention. The community breathed a collective sigh of relief as the child was able to speak in the ambulance. The success of this rescue mission was attributed to the extensive training of the police dog Kua and the de dedication of the dog patrol. The dog handler's knowledge that human scent rises in the snow led to a second search of the pile, ultimately leading to the child's discovery. The Finnish Police Dog Association commended the dog patrol for their exceptional performance and celebrated Kua's, Kua's role in the successful rescue. The handler's hundreds of hours of training paid off, emphasizing the importance of well-trained police dogs in critical situations. So that's it. Kua looks like he might be like a German Shepherd mix from the picture here. Um, but yeah, can you imagine? Your child goes missing. You, It's snowing outside. You have no clue. And all of a sudden, this dog finds, finds him under the snow unresponsive. And they're able to bring him back to life. Ooh, child. Man, I, I can't imagine. I would be so stressed out. But I'm very happy that this had a happy ending. Absolutely, man. Definitely. And I know y'all got snow out there in New York. Enjoy it. Watch them babies, though. Be careful. <laughs> oh yeah shout out to the dog and his trainer because that was an amazing story yeah and this i see i see the picture of kua cutie cutie right? cutie patootie <laughs> kitty kua that's his name cutie kua yeah all right well thank you so much for listening to objection to the rule on radio free brooklyn stay tuned for more community-based brooklyn radio um, and we'll talk to you next week uh, for our last musical track. This is Erica Badu with The Other Side of the Game. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. Bye.
occupation. 